The following audio is from the Ridge Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. For more information about Ridge Church, please visit ridgechurch.cc. We hope you enjoy this message from the Ridge. One of the pastors here, we're so glad that you're here with us today as we continue a series on the book of Acts. And so this is the sequel to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the story of Jesus and his mission on earth to come and to save and rescue sinners. And so that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And now we are moving into the sequel to that, uh, which is the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is all about the the mission of Jesus and how that is accomplished, how uh, the church began, how you and I have ended up being believers here in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, which is uh, an amazing feat in in itself. Not only that that God came to, to save and rescue us and rescue you if you're a believer, but how the gospel ended up getting from a little, about a seven, eight mile radius there in Jerusalem, uh, in Israel, to Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and even to the ends of the earth. And so uh, that's what we're looking at over the next several uh, months, actually, in this series on Acts. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to uh, the book of Acts, which uh, we're going to start in chapter 2 today. We're going to take a look at that in chapter 2. Acts gives, kicks off with, with Jesus calling his apostles to, to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And, and we see uh, the last words of Jesus right before he ascends into heaven. He has been crucified, he is resurrected, and he is about to ascend into heaven. And so last week we looked at Acts 1-8, which is really uh, the, the catalyst for the entire uh, rest of the New Testament and, and how uh, the church began. And so if you don't mind, let's, let's take a look at Acts 1-8 here just real quick as a refresher. As Jesus says, these are, these are my last words. You, you have been placed on mission. If you're a believer, and this is what we said last week, if you're a believer, you've been given a task. You've been given a mission, and it doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. It doesn't matter how long uh, you, you've been following Jesus. It doesn't matter uh, how jacked up you feel your, your uh, uh, following of Christ is. You've been given a mission. Every one of us as a believer has been called to make disciples, to make disciples, to make disciples. And we could go on and on and on. And Jesus, that's what Jesus says in Matthew 28. He says, go and make Disciples, And that is a, a command. That's not a, a suggestion. It's not an option. It's not something that he says, hey, if you feel like doing this, then go and do this. Or if you feel equipped, if you feel talented enough, if you uh, whatever, you know, you can just fill in the blank there. He says, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then he says this. He says this at the very end of Matthew 28, which is uh, really a precursor to what he says in, in Acts 1.8. He says, and I will be what? With you. I will be with you until the very end of the age. So he says, you've been given a mission. You've been given a task as a believer. You're called to go and make disciples. But here's the deal. You don't have to do it by yourself. We're not going to, uh, I'm not going to send you out there and just be like, all right, y'all go figure this out. That's not what Jesus says. He says, I will be with you. Now, obviously, you're like, yeah, but how is he with us? Because he's not physically with us. And it's because he is in us. Because Jesus in us is better than Jesus beside us. And so we have his presence wherever we are. We have his presence right now. We are in the midst of his presence. Not just because we're in a church building. This building, this is a building. You know that, right? Like this is a building. You are the church. You are uh, the, the carrier of the mission of Christ. You are Jesus in you as a believer. And so Jesus is 
with us. He is with you when you walk out of these doors. He's with you at Tuesday at 237, whatever, you know. I mean, he, he is your believer. He is, he is there with you. And so listen to what Jesus says, Acts 1-8. He says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so in the book of Acts, we're talking a lot about the Holy Spirit, but we're not talking necessarily about just the, the gifts of the Spirit. That's part of it. We talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, we're talking about how the, the power of the Spirit with us enables us to go and make disciples. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, meaning you will reflect me. Everything that I have taught you, everything that I have shown you, everything that I have equipped you for, you're going to go and you're going to be my witness. You're going to go and reflect that. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is right where they were at the moment, in all of Judea, which was just a little bit further, and Samaria, which was a little bit further than that. And there's a, there's a whole other meaning behind the, the Samaria there, but we'll get to that later in the series. And then he says, and to the ends of the earth. And so you and I, at the time, at that time, we were the ends of the earth. Jesus knew that we would be here. They didn't know. I mean, all they knew was Israel, right? That maybe a little bit of, of the Middle East area there. That's basically all they knew that existed at the time. But Jesus himself, he knew that we would exist. He knew that you would exist. He knew that you would be sitting right where you're sitting at in Oak Ridge, Tennessee at 10 o'clock or whatever time it is. My watch is probably slow. So it's not good for a pastor to have a, a watch that is slow because, you know, anyway. But he knew. Like, he knew that you would be sitting right where you're sitting at. And he says, so I am equipping you for, for this mission. And so uh, in that, last week I mentioned to you, I said uh, this last week, I said, hey, if you want to know what your spiritual gift is, we will provide you with a, an opportunity to take a spiritual gift inventory test. And so two things that I want to let you know about. Right now, if you go to our blog, theridgechurchblog.com, there is a link there. Uh, that we posted this morning to the spiritual gift inventory test that you could take. It takes about 15, 20 minutes for you to take it, answer it honestly, and it will give you an idea of what God has equipped you with, with your spiritual gifts. It gives you a, a, a list of spiritual gifts that, that God has equipped you with if you answer the questions honestly. And so you can take a look at that, and then you can email us and say, hey, here's what this thing said my spiritual gifts are, and we will help you walk through that and learn how to use those gifts. And then also there is a 28-day devotional on the book of Acts uh, there as well that you can follow along in your Bible app, uh, version as well. So those links are up there, and we want you to, to have those. And so last week we centered around two questions. Has the mission of Jesus captured our hearts and minds, and will we, to the best of our imperfect and flawed ability, listen to his voice and do what he says? Those were the two questions that we said that we needed to, to wrestle with and answer last week. So how is it that God multiplies this gospel, and, and how is it that, it that it spread? Well, that's what we're going to take a look at in Acts chapter 2 today. And so we're not going to look at the whole chapter because there's a whole lot of stuff there, but let me just give you a little context as to what's taking place here. Jesus has been crucified. He is resurrected. He is ascended into heaven. He gives the apostles this mission. They go out. They replace Judas, 
Okay, Judas has, has gone and, and moved on, and rightfully so, right? So Judas is out of the picture, so they, they replaced Judas with another uh, disciple, and now they are in Jerusalem, and they are waiting, as Jesus said. Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit, and so they are waiting for the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit arrives, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and, and you see this amazing uh, thing take place in Acts chapter 2 at the beginning, is that everyone is gathered in, in the city. It's called Pentecost. And everyone is gathered there in the city of Jerusalem. And what Pentecost is, it was a, a festival. They were celebrating the harvest. And they were celebrating the beginning of a new season. And so everybody is, is coming into the city to, to celebrate this, uh, this harvest. And it's people from different nations, different tongues, meaning they are speaking different languages. When the Holy Spirit comes, it says that tongues of fire rested on the apostles. Now, what that does not mean, and we don't need to get confused with this, this does not mean that the uh, disciples are speaking in tongues, meaning speaking in a prayer language that only an uh, interpreter can understand. In fact, what it actually means in this particular case, Paul talks about that tongue later in Corinthians, but what this actually means is that they begin to speak a language and everybody from no matter what country, no matter what language they speak, everybody is able to understand everybody. And so it would be almost as if I got up here and began to speak Mandarin Chinese to you, and you all understood it, okay? Now, if you speak Mandarin Chinese, then you're awesome, okay? But if, I be, if you don't know that, right, if you don't know that language and I began to, to speak it, number one, I can't speak it, so that would be amazing in and of itself. And so but you would understand it. And so here, here's what's amazing about that. It's not so much that, that this language that everybody is able to hear comes. It's that the, the amazing thing is that everybody is able to understand it. That's the, the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, that it enables us to understand things that normally we might not be able to understand. And so the, this tongue falls and everybody begins to, to understand what is being spoken. And then Peter, now you remember Peter, I hope, from the Gospels. Peter is the guy who tried to walk on water, couldn't do it, fell, right, into the water, took a swim, right? Peter's the guy who chopped off the guy's ear, you know, when Jesus was being arrested. Peter is the guy who denied even knowing Jesus when Jesus was being crucified, and so this Peter that we see in uh, the book of Acts and through the rest of the New Testament is not the same Peter that we saw in the Gospels. Now, he's the same person, but something is different about this Peter. Something has happened inside of this Peter. And, and, and what is it that has happened? He's seen a resurrected Jesus. He has seen a resurrected Jesus. And he believes, like we talked about last week, he believes with all of his heart that the mission of Jesus it has captured his heart and his mind, and he is going to do the best, even to his imperfect and flawed ability, to listen to his voice and do, try to do what he says. And so Peter, in front of thousands of people, he stands up and he preaches his first sermon. Now, again, we would not expect this guy to preach a sermon, but he stands up and he begins to speak. And the crazy thing is, is everybody, no matter what nation, no matter what language they are speaking, everyone is able to understand Peter. And so we're going to look at his sermon today, and we're going to see how God's grace breaks through even to the worst of human rebellion. No one is so far, from, so far removed from God that they cannot be redeemed. And that's what we're going to see here, including us. And so let's pick it up. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. 
says this. Peter begins to preach. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. And so immediately Peter says, hey, I know you guys kind of think there's something going on here, like everybody's drunk, but it's, it's noon, okay? Nobody's drunk right now, all right? And it's funny, but right before this, it says that the people were thinking, everybody is drunk. Like, what is going on here? Like, this is crazy. And it wouldn't be so far-fetched. Anyway, this can, think about this. Pentecost was kind of like Mardi Gras, okay? Kind of like Mardi Gras. So it's a big party. It's a festival. Everybody is enjoying the festival. And Peter stands up and he says, hey, just want to let you know, everyone here, they're not drunk. There's something different going on here. And so there are three things that we learn from Peter's sermon for the believer and the unbeliever alike. So if you're a believer here, there's something that you can get from this. If you're not a believer, there is something that you can get from this as well. And so we're just going to look at this. And the first thing is this. God meets us where we are, both physically and and spiritually. God meets us where we are, both physically and spiritually. Think about this. They're at a festival, kind of like Mardi Gras. Peter begins to preach, and the Holy Spirit shows up. Now, let me ask you a question. Where did the gospel first grab you? And I don't mean like, like where were you saved? I don't, that's not what I mean, but, but where did God first open your eyes to the gospel? Where did God first open your eyes to his grace and to his mercy and how much he loves you and how long he has been pursuing you? Where did that happen? Where did that happen? And this is what I mean by that. I, I bet you this, I bet you this, it probably didn't happen when you were sitting at a dinner table and somebody across from you said grace for their food. That probably didn't happen like that, Okay. Probably didn't happen like that. Maybe it did. Probably didn't. But here's what I do know. I bet it happened when you felt like you were the furthest from God. Physically. Like you were so far, you felt so far removed from God. It's when the gospel first grabbed you. And so for many of you, that didn't happen in a church service. It didn't happen in a church service. It was, it was probably through someone, something someone said to you, something someone shared with you, maybe something uh, someone showed you. No one goes to a Mardi Gras festival expecting to meet Jesus, but that's where Peter gets up and he begins to preach, right? God will always meet us where we are. He will always meet us where we are. God is, has met me where I am. So much, so so much so. I, I, I remember times in my life, and there will be future times in my life. Just because I'm a pastor does not exclude me from that. There will be times in my life in the future, there have been times in my life in the past where I have felt far from God, physically far from God. Like I just did not feel His presence. But every time I can look back, every time, and even to the darkest times of my life, I can look back and I can think and remember how God met me where I was physically. Met me where I was physically. God meets us where we are. There are uh, so many stories of you that you've shared where God has met you where you are physically. God has opened himself up to you. He has shown you. He He has drawn you. And so there is no limit to where God can meet a person. No limit at all. In fact, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says this, he says, And you, talking about you and me, 
He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. I think we all understand the term dead, don't we? It means there is no life, there is no hope. And he says, we were dead in our sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so we, we stop right there. If that's the end, we're all doomed to hell. But this is what Paul says. He says, every single one of us have been there. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, meaning that he met us, he met you right where you are, dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. So hear me, church. We should never write a person off because of how far off from God they seem. You and I don't need to say no for someone else. You and I don't need to determine how far off from God someone is and say no for them. See, because God will meet them right where they are physically. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I, I love how C.S. Lewis, you guys know C.S. Lewis, right? He uh, wrote the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? The Chronicles of Narnia, that, that whole series. Uh, Mere Christianity, an amazing writer, C.S. Lewis. And so uh, C.S. Lewis, I love his story of, of how he came uh, to know Christ. Because God met him where he was physically. He had, um, he had, had a, uh, a conversation with a, another guy that you may know, J.R. Tolkien, uh, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, right, that, that whole series. And so these guys were buddies. They, they would hang out together. They would have conversations with one another. They would take long walks and, and discuss uh, religion and spirituality and, and Christ. And, and at the time when they began to discuss these things, they were both atheists. They were both atheists and agnostic. They, they just didn't believe. But through some conversations that they had one night, C.S. Lewis, he got up the next morning and he said that uh, he got on his motorcycle to go to the zoo. Got on his motorcycle to go to the zoo and he said this about his ride. He said, I left that day on my motorcycle, not a Christian. But when I arrived, I, arrived, I was one. Isn't that amazing? God met him where he was physically. And so not only does he meet us where we are physically, he also meets us where we are spiritually and so let's let's get this myth out first because we talked about this a few weeks ago but i I think i think it deserves to to be reiterated once more is that if god meets us where we are spiritually the myth is is that we have to clean ourselves up before we can come to christ it's that that we have to get our lives together that we have to button things up that we have to cinch up the tie a little bit that we have to tidy up our lives a little bit before we are allowed to come into the presence of God before we are allowed to come into his grace before God will actually love us and that is simply not true Wesley Hicks talked about this a few weeks ago in our series three things that Jesus never said and that is definitely one of the things that Jesus never said he never said get your life together get it all cleaned up Now, does he do that? Yes, he does that through us. But he does not tell you to do it before you come to him. He also doesn't expect us to have all of the answers. 
You see, the gospel is amazing at invading our questions and leading us to an understanding. This is exactly what is taking place as Peter preaches this sermon to people, unbelievers, people who did not understand the language. The Holy Spirit invaded their questions and led them to the answers. Now, I have two small children. I have a a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And I am intimately familiar with questions. Amen? I don't know if you are or not. If you have small children, if you've raised children, heck, if you've been a child, you know what this is like, right? Questions. Questions about everything. My wife and I, we were on our way to, to something uh, the other day, and, and, and our kids are in the back, and, and as we're going down the road, it is literally a question about everything. And you know it's coming. It's like, hey, Daddy. You know, it's like, okay, here comes a question. Mommy, here comes a question, right? And so, like, just question after question after question. Now, here's what we don't do with our children. When they ask us a question, we do not look at them and yell at them and go, you should figure it out. Stop asking me questions. Now, you might do that. You probably did that on the way here this morning. You need to repent. But as parents, as loving parents, that's not what we do, is it? We we lovingly encourage and help our children get the answer, do we not? We meet them where they are in their questions. We don't force them to understand. We show them, we love them, and we help them. And the gospel has worked and is still working in our lives this way because this is how the Father is with us. He meets us where we are spiritually. Now, later in Acts chapter 17, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you real quick. But Paul, uh, this guy, we're going to talk about Paul a lot in this series, but, but uh, that's a little later. Paul is actually preaching to people who are unbelievers. In fact, it says that they are uh, Epicureans and um, they are Stoics. And so uh, this group of people, and they're, they're gathered in basically like a, a marketplace. And, and Paul stands up to, to preach to them. He is meeting them where they are physically, but also spiritually. Listen to what he says to them. He says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries for their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And so Paul basically says this. He says, hey, listen, you guys are all here right now for a reason. You're here right now because God has met you where you are physically. And as I begin to preach and and speak to you, now he is meeting you where you are spiritually. And then he says this. He says, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. And so then Paul even takes something that they are very familiar with, something that they would understand, one of their poets, and he quotes them and says, God, listen, God is not far from you. He is not as far from you as you think. Paul is speaking to these groups. Now, where are they spiritually? They're far from God, are they not? But yet... God meets them there. And so Peter, in his sermon, he even mentioned this, uh, mentions this idea in verse 39. He says, he says this in verse 39 during uh, his sermon. He says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Which leads us to number two. And so not only, not only does God meet us where we are, both spiritually and physically, 
God tells us the truth about ourselves. He tells us the truth about ourselves. Look at verse 23, Acts chapter 2 says this. It says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so Peter, in his sermon, doesn't candy coat anything, does he? He says, he says this Jesus whom you crucified and killed. And then skip down to verse 36. He says this. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Come on, Peter. Let's just go ahead and tell you how you really feel about it. Right? I mean, this is, this is Peter. He's saying, hey, you killed him. You killed Jesus. Now, think about this for a moment. Everyone there, in fact, probably none of the people there, actually nailed the nails into the hands of Christ. But yet, Peter says, you crucified him. So why is he able to say that, that they crucified him? And, and here's the truth, and here, here's, here's, here's what I'm, I mean by this, is that God tells us the truth about ourselves. Not only did they have a hand in crucifying Jesus, but you and I did too. You and I did as well. Now, how, how is that? How is that possible? Like, what is, how are we able to, to determine that and, and, and get to that? Well, it's actually like this. Um, Mel Gibson in The Passion of the Christ. We've seen that one, right? Um, Passion of the Christ. Mel Gibson, actually, he only has one role in the entire movie. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, in, the, in the part of, of the movie, he, he directed the movie and, and he produced the movie, but uh, he's not actually in the movie. Well, it, it, his hand is in the movie. In, in the part where they begin to, to nail Christ to the cross and you see the outstretched hand, it's actually Mel Gibson's hand. He wanted his hand to be there, to be the one that is being nailed to the cross to show his responsibility for the crucifixion of Christ, for the death of Jesus. Now, how is that true? Well, it's true because, let's go Romans three twenty three says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, let's stop, stop right there. Paul says this, he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, here's the deal. All means all. That's you, that's me, that's all of us. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, the ground is level in this room. The ground, because the ground is level at the cross, regardless of how bad your past is, or if you came out of the womb singing Amazing Grace, you dropped a 20 spot in the bucket, and you began to preach. Like, regardless of that as you, if you're, you know, consider yourself a good Sunday school boy or girl, right? Like, you just grew up in the church. Regardless of that, every single one of us is on the same level ground in here. We are all sinners. All of us. And we have all fallen short of God's glory. Our position is not superior as good church boys and girls over anyone else because we've all sinned. And so Paul goes on and he says this. He says, we are justified by his grace as a gift. Regardless of the fact that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That word propitiation, that's just a big hairy church word that means that our sin has been exchanged for his grace and mercy. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. That's good news, isn't it? So the truth about you and me is that we are sinners who have fallen short of his glory. That's the truth about us. And this is not to, to make any of us feel bad about ourselves. It's to remind us that, that on our, our absolute need for the gospel, it's to remind us that you and I, regardless if you're a believer right now, like, listen, you never leave the gospel. You, that's not a door you walk through and close and leave behind. We never leave the gospel. If you're a believer, we still need the gospel. We need to be reminded of our sin so that we lean even more into the grace and the mercy of Jesus. We never leave the gospel. The good news that Jesus saves us from ourselves and our sin. And so he meets us where we are. He tells us the truth about ourselves. And then finally, number three, the gospel, this good news, it invades that truth and frees us. Listen to what Peter says in his sermon, Acts 29. He says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So he starts talking about David, right? The, the writer of a lot of the Psalms that we read, one that just uh, Steve read a little earlier, King David. He says, he says I, I, I say with confidence that David, that he is dead and he is buried. And he is in his tomb with us this day. Verse 30, he says, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades. That's hell. He says, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. And so two things here, how the gospel invades that truth and frees us. The first thing is that we see that Christ's victory over hell is our victory over hell. And then secondly, that there is no corruption found in the body of, the Christ, body of Christ. And because there is no corruption found in the body of Christ, because as believers you have Christ in you, there is no corruption found in you. Even though, even though, this is where it gets kind of hairy if you're not careful, even though we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because Jesus gave up his life as a propitiation, there's that word, he exchanged his body, his blood for our redemption from sin. And so there is no corruption now found in us. His perfect obedience has become our perfect obedience. We get the righteousness of Christ given to us. And so here's how that works. Jesus lays down his life to cover the price of sin on humanity, for humanity, and gives his blood for our sin, his righteousness, his perfection for our unrighteousness and imperfection. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. For our sake. So where the gospel is proclaimed, you and I must respond. And so look at how they respond as we close in Acts 2.37. Paul preaches the gospel, and every time the gospel is preached, every time the gospel is proclaimed, there must be a response. Listen to 37. It says this. 
Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And that's the question for you and I. The gospel is proclaimed. The gospel is laid out before us, this good news of Jesus. And the question is, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, here's what you do. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, repent and be baptized. You, listen, you and I have always in some way responded to the gospel. You and I have always in some way responded to the gospel. The Puritans said it this way, the same sun that melts the ice is also the same sun that hardens the clay. The same sun that melts the ice is also the same sun that, that hardens the clay. We either accept the gospel and it melts our hearts or we refuse it and it hardens our hearts. The gospel demands a response, and to not respond, hear me, hear me, to not respond is a response. There is no middle ground with the gospel. We either accept it or we don't. It either melts our hearts or we allow our hearts to be hardened. Peter says, here's how you respond. Repent. That means that we're, we're going we're to change our mind. The word repent actually means to, to change direction, to change our mind. And so we're going to change our direction. We're going to turn from ourselves. We're going to turn from our sin, and we're going to turn to Jesus. We're going to turn to this gospel that Peter is preaching, the good news that Jesus forgives sinners of their sin. And he says, you respond by changing your heart and your mind and your direction. And then you're baptized. And baptism is this outward expression of this inward change that has taken place. If you've been here at the Ridge for any length of time, you've seen person after person after person after person get into the waters back here and ex just exclaim and, and, and proclaim that my heart has been changed because of Jesus Christ. This is my outward expression of, of this inward change that has taken place. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about, listen, 3,000 souls. And that was just the men. They only counted men at that time. They didn't count the women and the children. So it was probably closer to around eight, 9,000 people. That's a church service, ain't it? Peter preaches the gospel, and they respond. Just like then, the same is true for us now. The gospel demands a response. The gospel cut them to the heart. And so regardless of how long you've been a believer, regardless of how long you've been teeter-tottering on whether or not you want to get into a relationship with Jesus, regardless of how long you've been trying to, to re resist this, has the gospel cut you to the heart? And how would you respond? And here's a hint. It's not to try harder or do better. On this day, they, they repented and surrendered. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, we don't come to God as bad people trying to become good people. 
I love that. He says, we don't come to God as bad people and then just try to be good people. This is what he says. He says, we come to God as rebels to lay down our arms. It's a laying down of arms. It's a laying down of disputes. It's a laying down of resistance. So as we sing this last song, as we take a moment to pray, I simply ask you this question. What shall you do? with the gospel. If you're a believer, you've been walking with Christ for a long time, maybe today is just a good day just to to be reminded of the greatness and the goodness of God in that gospel and to thank Him for it. If you're an unbeliever, you've you've not been following Jesus, you've never given your life to Christ, then I believe with all of my heart that the only way to respond is to allow it to melt your heart. Don't try to figure out all the answers yet, just allow it to melt your heart. Lay down your arms and resistance and ask Jesus to save you. You stand to your feet and pray with me. Father God, we lay down our arms, our resistance, and our disputes to you, Father. God, we lay them at the foot of the cross. God, we know that, that at the cross, the ground is level. God, we are all on the same plane. God, we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory. But God, it is by grace, your grace, God, that you save us, that you redeem us, that you bring us mercy. God, would you meet us where we are? God, we're we're together in this room. We know that you're already here with us. God, would you meet us where we are spiritually? God, would you remind us of the truth about ourselves that we are all, each one of us, God, that we are all sinners but you have made a way for us. No matter how far off we feel physically, no matter how far off we feel feel spiritually, God, you have made a way for us. God, call us to repentance. We cry out our hearts to you.